the mm -hmm. kundalini is like a it's like a coming together of the feminine and the masculine and so mm -hmm. i ha i had that i had that moment with him but then alone in prayer and meditation i had i surrendered and i emptied out and i couldn't tell if this light was coming from my head or coming into it and it really was both and during those periods in solitude in prayer and meditation i was so aroused i had to i had to like have an orgasm mm -hmm. and so all of a sudden now this is how sexuality and spirituality came together for me that in the surrendering in the opening and becoming receptive to something transcendent that it is arousing welcome to another episode of what's up with dj i'm your host dj and each week i bring you topics about current events holistic living career development finance life hacks and stories of inspiration and humor all from a spiritual perspective so as always your comments um <laughs> and criticisms are always appreciated and encouraged just be kind <laughs> with that being said let's get right into the show my guest this week is Deborah Lukovic. She's a writer, coach, and she admits to be to being sometimes an oversharer. <laughs> she loves taking the mystery out of otherwise difficult concepts and helping people explore the guidance being offered to them by their unconscious via dreams, obsessions, and fantasies, and even anxieties. Her most recent book, Your Soul is Talking, Are You Listening? Five Steps to Uncovering Your Hidden Purpose is a framework for self-reflection that includes personal stories of midlife unraveling and healing of personal wounds related to sexuality and spirituality. Her studies in depth psychology, PhD research, and writing help her to find the real purpose of her midlife unraveling and made her realize her experience was part of something new erupting from the collective unconsciousness. Hello today. Hello. <laughs> I'm so glad to have you here. I'm excited about our conversation. Yes, I am. Yes, so I, um, in, in the introduction, I talked about this midlife unraveling that occurred to you, occurred for you. So what unraveled for you? Uh, a whole way of existing in the world. It's a, it's mm -hmm. a long story mm -hmm. and my unraveling luckily coincided with this irrational calling to study depth psychology. Mm -hmm. So alongside my unraveling, I lived all of these concepts in real time. They weren't wow. just reading about complexes. Uh, they were reading and experiencing them at the same time. So bottom line, really my unraveling had to do with living the first part of my life in a very masculine oriented way, very achievement oriented, very 
um, goal oriented. I know what I'm striving for. Therefore, I can lay out a plan and it all makes sense. I do this first and this and this and this. I came of age in the 80s. It was a time of great possibility for women, but uh -huh. it was also compensated by a severe and sometimes violent backlash against women's independence. And uh -huh. so I went into my life and I accomplished and I achieved and I had a family and I you know, was an entrepreneur. And then all of a sudden things started falling apart and uh -huh. I didn't realize that I actually had wounds from coming of age in the 80s and they had to do with reconciling sexuality and spirituality so it was quite surprising to me that my midlife unraveling really revolved around co that coming together of those issues and then that led me to learning to live my life in the realm of the feminine which is not direct which is not linear it is the realm of mystery. It's the realm of the unconscious. It's the realm of paradox. It's patience. It's strategic. It's sneaky, actually. <laughs> and so I had to sort of compensate. And what was interesting is as I reconciled the healed these wounds and reconciled this energy of sexuality and spirituality and was open and surrendered to the feminine, I burst out with creativity. Oh, so yeah. whether it was, uh, you know, the books that I wrote, the blogs, my podcast, all of it, reconciling wounds that you don't really know that you have. And often your wounds are around tension between things that seem to be in opposition. And mm -hmm. when you, and we're full of opposition, when you reconcile and heal those wounds, something new, it, that's creative burst out of it. And Carl Jung called that the transcendent function, the process of that sort of being able to hold the tension between this and that until something new bursts out of your unconscious or on a collective level out of the collective unconscious. Mm, so it's been a wild ride to say the least. A wild ride. The unraveling was a wild well, ride. Yes, yes. Lots. If you can imagine lots of juicy stories as you're reconciling <laughs> sex and God. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, I think sometimes when you say spirituality and sexuality, some of those things are, are you know, there's a lot of overlapment in those things, you know, and um, some people can get those things sort of twisted sometimes as well when it comes to sexuality and spirituality. So um, one of the things that we definitely wanted to hit on, um, and I saw a, a video that you sent me and it talked about um, just trying to understand the youth um, better. You know, this Generation Z thing I'm trying to figure out as well. Um, and uh, and I, I enjoyed just to have the, the reconciling the spirituality and sexuality. I was like, well, that's this even more interesting to me right there. <laughs> that just changed the subject just like that, you know. But um, but but seriously, um, one of the things that and we, we will get to that. I like to to hit on that exactly because to me that is the interesting topic that I haven't spoken to anyone on the show about. Oh well, I um, love oversharing about it. <laughs> but one of the things that we did agree to discuss is about self reflection, and that's what exactly what you just talked about was self reflection. When we're doing self-analysis and trying to improve our life, because I definitely believe in self-actualization. Heard that word years ago um, when I was studying psychology. When I wanted to be, a, I thought I was going to be a, a, a therapist. 
Um, and I, oh, wow, ooh, what's that? Self-actualization, what is that? And it is a self-analysis and putting that at the forefront of your life. And it sounds like you did that. Yes, and I was always a self-reflecting and super self-aware person. You could say self-conscious to the extent that it really was a burden when you're so self-conscious that like you're literally on alert and aware of how you are actually walking into a room and how people are receiving your energy. It can really feel like a burden. So it was so interesting that I had this mysterious calling to study depth psychology, which I had never heard of. I didn't know what it was. I had heard of Carl Jung. And when I went on to the website and it came about because of a synchronicity, I went onto the website. I'm like, I don't know what any of this means, but it, <laughs> but it's like a spiritual text. It's like sacred language and I had to find out. So it like, it really pulled me in and depth psychology became my framework for self-reflection. And uh -huh. I, I really do believe that that synchronicity is how, is what led to my calling now to um, encourage self-reflection, but also to provide a framework for self-reflection because self-reflection is not about what you know mm -hmm. self-reflection is finding the hidden meaning what's hidden in your unconscious the hidden agenda so when you are having an emotional reaction if it's neutral and like yeah that's annoying yeah whatever mm -hmm. no big deal but if you're like man that really bugs me that is your opportunity to turn it around on you and that something mm -hmm. is being mirrored back to you. And it's an opportunity for you to dig deeper into why do I feel that way? What are my mm -hmm. assumptions about human beings and about humanity? And what is, you know, whatever work ethic mean to me? Mm -hmm. And am I just seeing the world through my lens? And am I expecting others to conform to my beliefs? And mm -hmm. why am I doing that? Why do I think I'm the right one? that's self-reflection self-reflection is mm -hmm. really questioning it's not affirming what you already know about yourself i'm an infj right. i'm an introvert so mm -hmm. that's not self-reflection no, but how no. does my introversion what is the light side of it what is the dark side of it and how does it mix with with my interactions with the world around me right exactly you know and now you mentioned just mentioned the, the myers brig which I uh, have taken that 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 uh, questionnaire before, and it sort of gives you these four letters about your personality, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and I always find I always now every time I take it, I think I'm like an I N P J something like that. I think it is. I can't remember the. the I always forget that third letter, but like so I thinking or feeling, J. it's an F or a T. It's a what now? Oh, F or a T. You know what? Yeah. I think it's an F. Okay. Yeah, I think it's F because I'm definitely so a I feeling N person. INFP, you, or mm. J, you said, INFJ. Mm, 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 oh, mm. welcome to the club. We're only 3% of the entire population of the world. <laughs> you know what? And I believe it. <laughs> and the thing about INFJs for your audience is that unless someone is really curious and interested in really what you think and feel, no one really knows you. So you're very mis understood unless you're an overshare like me where i just like mm. tell people throw, how i yeah, think and how i feel 
I think that's what I, I that's the reason why I think I overshare as well because uh because you know you learn that that you know you want to uncloud this sort of mystery around you and no one I think people are fine with the assumption that they think they know you but they really don't mm -hmm. and a lot of people go around with these assumptions about who you are and then you finally they get to sort of you sort of unveil yourself a little bit to them the unraveling that you talked about earlier and then they go, oh, you're nothing like I thought. And you're like, yeah. Right. When people hear I'm introverted, which totally misunderstood. Introverted does not mean shy. No. Introverted means you need to recharge. You're, you're, Alone. you're mm -hmm. fueled by going into your inner world. Yeah. So even when I'm being in and doing something extroverted and engaging with people, I really and I really enjoy that. The only way it's energizing for me is if it's like super meaningful and it's an opportunity for me to play in my inner my inner playground with another person. Otherwise, it's so depleting for me. Yeah, it is. I, I enjoy being around lots of people and, 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 and that as well. But um, after that occurs, I need to definitely about be around myself. Just myself are very few people as possible yes you know or it's not going to be good yeah <laughs> so so but but enjoy but i say i'm intro my introvert it doesn't mean that i don't like being around people i enjoy nope. being around people it just that it requires more work it's depleting it's depleting <laughs> and i have to i always tell people that I have a roommate years ago and and i told him i said when i come from work i just need 30 minutes or an hour to myself before you ascend on me. Right, <laughs> right. Me, if you give me that 30 minutes, I you have my attention. I will listen to your day. I, you know, go out and get yeah. some dinner, no problem. But I gotta have that 30 minutes after I get from work. You just cannot come into my room and ascend on me with all these, you know, your day. And um had been friends for many years and that that he was an extrovert. And I most of my friends, close friends, are always extroverts. Mm -hmm. And um, he definitely didn't understand that at all, because the first time we ever lived around each other for the for the first time, and that wasn't a good experience at all, because he totally misunderstood. Because he he thought that I was, you know, like you said, that veil of that that sort of around you when you are an introvert or in I N F J, and then come to realize that this person really, um, you know, is an introvert and has to recharge alone. And that means you need to go away. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, extroverts just like feed off the energy of the external world. I mean, they can, like, it can feel like they're sucking your blood. They don't mean to, but it's no. just like, that's what feeds them. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and as you get older, I think, you know, my friends are now in their, you know, 40s and 50s. So uh, uh, they 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 get that more so that oh I have to be around people to recharge and DJ has to be around no one to recharge he needs that time to himself and then I come out of my cubby hole and I'm you know ready to the party again you know that's a really good that's a really great example of of that's beautiful that's real reflection and real respect right because. We are attracted to, like, I'm attracted to ENFPs. It's like a match made in heaven, unless, unless the other person doesn't realize that the reason we're attracted to each other is to kind of balance each other out. And mm -hmm. so the, the, the extroverted person really wants to 
be more like an introverted person and the introvert mm-hmm. introverted person needs that engagement as well. And mm-hmm. that's, that's called, you know, taking back your projections when you're able to see that the other person is mirroring something back to you. That's about you, not them. That's mm-hmm. taking back your projection. Yeah. I like that. I like that. Taking back your projection. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. Um, so, uh, and again, I need to, my, my, one of my good friends, I need to ask her, you know, Hey, what is your, you know, just take this, you know, cause she might, she's probably, you know, th- those, um, acronyms that you just mentioned, because, you know, she's an extrovert and she loves, but she recharges around people, which is crazy to me, <laughs> to me, but she, you know, she, she wants to be around as many people as possible. And she, you know, once we, we, we go to a, a dinner and she will have, se- you know, several friends there. And after that, I'm like, I'm going home and I'll talk to you later. Yeah. You know, that was great. And she's like, oh, okay, no problem. And she's still out there conversating and talking to people. I'm like, just get away from me. I'm ready to yeah. go. <laughs> Yeah. So, so yes, yeah, so, so, and, but we have, but because we are old enough and we're at a place in our life, we understand each other's personalities yeah. that you don't get offended by that, where, you know, that was a lot of um, issues, you know, when you, people don't really understand it. They want everyone to be like them, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. it doesn't work that way. So let's get into, uh, cause I really want to come back to, cause what really, cause you're the first person that, that I've talked to on this show who wanted to reconcile and talk about sexuality and spirituality. So I have to come back to it. Okay. And so how, so what does that mean for you when you talk about spirituality and sexuality and does it overlap for you? Are the two separate things? What does it mean to you? Well, so I mentioned that coming of age in the eighties, mm-hmm. um, was sort of like this schizophrenic experience, but I wasn't conscious of that. I was just determined to be an independent woman. And that not only manifested as getting myself to college, being an entrepreneur, running for offices in school and going out there and and getting into a male dominated field like financial planning. It also meant relationship wise that I was seeking a, a partner who appreciated equality. And also I had sex and I was pretty into it. And it was a time where we're like, I don't care what you think, I'm gonna go do this now. And in fact, if I can be sexual, if we're going to talk about sex, like when I learned how to pleasure myself, man, that was like a Christmas gift. I <laughs> did it. I was like, can you be addicted to doing this? Cause like, this is so cool. I don't even need anybody. Like I could just do it on my own. So uh, what I didn't pay attention to, and I think I ignored, but it was absorbed by my body. And I think a lot of women who are my age was this backlash part. So there were Mm -hmm. actually, so, you know, the eighties and the nineties were almost like the peak of progress now that I look back at it. So it wasn't until the early eighties, for example, that it became illegal for a man to rape his wife before that it was perfectly legal Mm. during the time when Anita Hill was, uh, testifying against Clarence Clarence Thomas, Thomas. Mm -hmm. um, people were so down on her, but when she experienced what she said, um, it was perfectly legal to fire a woman if she didn't want to have sex with you. Mm -hmm. So then it became illegal until the early eighties. 
It was actually, there was a case, I don't know if you remember the Lifetime Cable Network, that was about consciousness raising of what women were experiencing and the violence against women. And part of the impetus for the Violence Against Women Act was a lawsuit against a woman who, as a circle of police officers and men watched her husband, who she had a restraining order against, stomp on her head to the point that she was paralyzed. And she sued the community for not having equal protection from the law. So this was a time when I came of age of progress, but there was this backlash and there was born these movements that countered women's independence, women's reproductive rights, and and they couched it in very warped versions of religious doctrine. So we were, I was, you know, independent women were demonized as sexual deviants and homewreckers. Mm -hmm. So now I ignored all that. I went off to life and, you know, I did what I did. And I found a, a man who appreciated women's equality and all of that stuff. And then, you know, when does midlife unraveling start? You know, part of what I, what I began analyzing was when was the first moment where there was like this little twinge in it, but I'll skip over that. So it was about 10 years later and I had an issue in my marriage. Um, but I didn't even, I didn't even know I had an issue in my marriage. I was very much in denial and This gets very complex because when you begin to unravel, you have to sort through your parental complexes. So the way Uh that you show up in life and the way that you show up in a marriage is very much influenced by your childhood experience. And as much as Uh you want to say, I'm not going to be my dad or my mom, sometimes sometimes it shows up in a really sneaky way and not exactly the same way in a, in a really, in a really sneaky way. So, Mm -hmm. so the universe had to orchestrate a couple dramatic events to get me to be like, Oh, there's something going on in my marriage and my relationship. Okay. So then all of that kind of started unraveling. Eventually I had to make this decision to get divorced. So to get to the sex and God part, once I knew that, Oh, I'm going to, my marriage is really going to be ending. It was all of this weird stuff came up out of my unconscious. And I call it complexes having to do with men and sex. Mm -hmm. Really weird things happen to me when I go study in a bar and all of a sudden I would feel this invasive energy by a man who came close to me. And then he'd offer to buy me a glass of wine. And I'm like, sure. Even though I felt so threatened by him. And then I would shame myself. Like, why did I just do this? Like really odd things started happening to me over and over and i had to I had you dated before you um married your husband so how 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 many years have you dated before you married your husband i I could have paid you to say that right now that's a perfect question Mm -hmm. what i realized was and yes i did i was quite free but what i realized was i had my unconscious had this hidden agenda other agenda for why i married my husband now i thought i I loved my husband. I did. Like I loved him. I was married to him for over 20 years and whatever. But what I realized was that I had never really felt the kind of desire and passion that I should have felt. And, but I didn't know it right until Mm -hmm. I felt it later. And so I realized that one of the hidden agendas for marrying my husband was to save me from the chaos of my relationship and sexual experiences. 
So I was very confused. I had strong sexual energy. And it was like, if I was assertive sexually with a man that made him run the other way. And then like, I had a lot of confusing experiences and I was like, what is wrong with me? And the, the day, literally the month before I met my husband, who's not my husband anymore, I decided I hate men. I had felt mm. exploited. I had a, had experiences that I felt shame about. So even though I felt like empowered to have sex, I ended up feeling shame about it. And a lot of women, uh, you know, feel this. And then yeah. literally like, I'm done. I'm just done with men. And then I meet yeah. this man and he's like, well, I'll call you tomorrow. I'm like, yeah, right. Whatever. And he lives six, <laughs> six hours away. And he does call me the next day and he like kisses me on the forehead. And I'm like, Oh, isn't that sweet? Wow. And then the next day he does call me and we get together and I actually meet like his friends who are like very nice. Now that night, you know, I didn't let him come home with me the first night, but the second night I did. But anyway, and he woke up in the morning and he's like, oh man, you got business books holding up your window. Like he was like in love with me immediately mm. on Monday. He sent me a dozen roses. Wow. Like, that's great. Oh, okay. But I was like, yeah, he's fun. So he come to town and we go out and I was just having fun. And, and then all of a sudden, one day, my sister says, you're kind of mean to him. And I'm like, what do you mean? I'm mean to him. And then I was like, Oh, so we dated and dated and a few months went by. And I think I became like less defensive and I opened up a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then there was this specific moment that I can remember when I was like kind of snuggling and thought, this is a good man. Mm -hmm. But I'm just saying when I said dated, how how many people have you dated before you met him? I, yes. I mean, you talked a little yes. bit about because yes. I'm, I'm trying to understand yes, when it comes to to that, you know, sometimes when, you know, I mean, just thinking about sexuality in terms of of not having that because it sounds like to me that you just hadn't tapped into that because you hadn't met anybody yet who allowed you to are you felt comfortable enough to tap into that level of sexuality or that level of of openness um until you divorced your husband well no no see no if if like my my husband and i had a wonderful sex life what mm -hmm. I'm saying, what I'm saying is I didn't realize I had like, I didn't in a way, in a way he represented safety for me. Okay. So we had a fine sex life. Um, so that didn't, and I, and I was really comfortable all these years. I thought everything was just fine. I hadn't known that I had like this, the stuff that I sort of ran away from, I was able to say, Oh, that's over. And now, so in a way I kind of, I don't want to say I settled because I did mm -hmm. love this man, but mm -hmm. unconsciously I did is sort of what I did mm -hmm. now. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Right. So, so then, you know, life goes on and I begin this unraveling process and these complexes come up. So it's like, okay, you've been pushing this down because you haven't had to deal with it, but now you're going to have to deal with this stuff. So for a time I dealt with boundaries mm -hmm. and 
respecting my intuition and my feeling and that sort of thing. Uh So then I was in uh, my master's PhD program studying depth psychology. So I was having a lot of fun with this. I was like, oh my God, I'm in the grip of a complex right now. Like I am not even in control of myself. Why did I accept a glass of wine from a guy who creeps me out? And then I had to go in the shower because I felt disgusted. Like what's going on? So I dealt with that. And then I was like, okay, settle down, man. Let's just study. I had a new job. I was trying to have peace for my children during this unraveling of my marriage. And I'm at the beach and I'm studying at the tiki bar. Um, And this man is standing next to me and he's trying to get the bartender's attention. And I knew the bartender. So I was like, hey, come on over here. How about this guy? We start chatting with each other about beach volleyball and he's looking for a team and and I was like, oh, yeah, I'll ask my I'll ask my team, like, give me your email. And then he walks away with his burger. And I had this little twinge. And I was like, what just mm-hmm. happened there? Like, mm-hmm. what? Like, does he really want to play volleyball or was that about something else? Was he like flirting with me? Like, I have no idea. It's been 25 years. Right. Mm-hmm. And he's quite young. And then I was like, oh, damn it, man, there's that stuff again. There's that sex and, you know, and romance. And oh, no, I just didn't even want to go there right now. But it got activated in me. Mm-hmm. And so we had a very. And, what, and how, how old were you at this particular phase? I was just turned 50. Oh, wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. So 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 would you say at that age where you like because, you know, some women peak sexually differently than men do. Do you think at that time you were like, okay, well, I'm at a different, I'm viewing sexuality different at this age than I would do oh, there, I wasn't viewing it anyway. It just happened to me. Okay. It just happened. And apparently, oh, and it even gets better than this. Apparently, this happens to a lot of women in their 40s and 50s after they get divorced and end a long-term relationship. You're just, mm-hmm. it's just happens to you. So we mm-hmm. have a very awkward thing going on and I'm like, oh my God, is this what millennials are like? Like nobody commits to anything. And what is this the secret <laughs> language, this text? And like, it was so confusing for me, but, and then he like, and then eventually the day comes, we have a date and he wants to, and I'm like, no, oh my God, you're the first man I've killed. Like, you shouldn't probably say that to a guy, like a guy who's 15 years younger than you, that this is my, you know, first man, for, you're the first guy I've kissed in 25 years, but I did. and. And uh-huh. so it it was so weird. And then he kind of like, okay, that's it. So we eventually reconnected and we did have sex and it was wonderful. Like it wasn't like mm-hmm. all passionate, but it was like, oh, I feel pretty good about my body. Well, mm-hmm. then he dropped me like a hot potato. It's like, oh, what is that all about? Now mm-hmm. he unleashed something in me though. And in fact, the first night after our first date when we didn't do anything, I got in the car and all of a sudden I was like so aroused. I couldn't stand it. I didn't make it home without like pleasuring myself. I got home and I was like, oh my wow. gosh, wow. I've, been un- I've been unleashed. And okay. so then he went away and I was like, how dare you? You opened me up. Get back <laughs> over here. So then I had to hit the online dating. I okay. did. Okay, Cupid and four. So this was my next phase. So I dealt with some complexes about boundaries. And then I got unleashed and then I was like, okay, now I have no choice, but I need to date men. So I Mm -hmm. get online and I had 10, 10 dates, 10 men. Some I dated more than once. And it was almost like, but here's, here was my agenda. There was no agenda. I needed to learn how to relate to men again. 
I wasn't mm-hmm. looking for anybody. I wasn't looking for anything. I was just totally curious about, and my biggest fear was being able to politely reject someone I wasn't attracted to. That's what I was yeah. worried about. I wasn't yeah. worried about them like liking me. I was worried about, well, oh my gosh, how do I, I spend two you. hours with a man? And then I don't want to. So I learned how to do it, but it was yeah. interesting because each man, it was almost like the universe was sending me these little lessons one by one. And they had mm. to do with me coming into relationship with my body and mm-hmm. sexuality. Mm-hmm. But I, so I chose- did you have body issues? I mean, did you feel like I didn't want I don't want to be naked in front of a man or I don't, I don't want him no, to see me naked? Or- I had what I referred to. I told one really kind, yummy man, and they were all 33. They're all 15 years younger than me. Not on purpose. It just happened. Just happened. I was, I was like, why are you attracted to me? He's like, oh, you look like you're, you're 33. And I'm like, well, I don't, but whatever, you know, okay, let's, I'll take it. Take the um, company, it was yeah. more like I had, a, I had, a, I said, I have performance anxiety, but it wasn't anxiety about performing for or to them. It mm. was, it was anxiety about if they're trying to pleasure me what if I'm not feeling it? I have mm-hmm. to feel bad. That so it was like anxiety about. Well, what like what do I do if it's just not really working for me? And I would feel mm-hmm. so. That's what I mean by performance anxiety. And one of the men, mm-hmm. he's my friend now, and he studied sexuality from a philosophical standpoint. So we had great, great conversations. And mm-hmm. he was like, "Yeah, I have my own issues too." So it was like really all these men were just so kind. I had greatest experience. And then. But after um, six months and learning different lessons and being able to be like, no, no, I was like, oh my gosh, I got to quit. I need a break because my brain's on fire. I can't even sleep at night. Like I like something got activated in my brain through this six mm. month uh, process. So mm. I took a break. I was working on my paper to get to pass my master's to get into my PhD. And it was six weeks later and I was sitting on the beach with my books all over me. And other than like, that'd be nice if a cute guy walked up to me on the beach. Other than that, I was like, nope, I'm serious again. I don't want, no, just stay away. I, I don't need any romance. I don't need any sex. Just let me, just let me be for now. And then all of a sudden I'm working, I'm reading about psychological types and I feel, I feel a gaze mm-hmm. and I look up and then I look back down. Cause I'm like, Oh my God, is that guy looking at me? Like, and he's sitting back like this and he's got these aviator sunglasses on. And I Mm. felt this intense energy. And then I looked up again and I was like, Oh my God, is he looking at me? Like, it was just weird. Like I was Mm. overtaken with awkwardness. And then Mm. I look up again and he's not there. And I'm like, okay, back to Mm. studying. I look up again and now he's standing over here with this Mm. leaning back on a pole, like, just looking all like cool and in charge. Okay. Like, oh my God. <laughs> then I look back and he's gone and my eyes peer over here. And all of a sudden he's like kneeling right in front of my chair. And I'm like, oh, okay. And he mm-hmm. says, I just had to find out what you're reading. Okay. okay That's so awesome, right? <laughs> and I'm like, well, I'm reading about psychological types. <laughs> I'm a nerd. And he's like, oh, tell me more. And so for the next two hours, we were swept up in a kind Mm. of like, it was like Aphrodite overtook me, Hermes the trickster overtook him. Well, I don't know, that was, it was my experience. And and after a while I was like, oh my God, I have to go, I have to go study. And he's like, well, I'd like to take you to a movie. 
So then, oh my gosh, just again, activated, but it wasn't my choice. The online dating was my choice. This was mm-hmm. not my choice. So yeah. I get swept up with this younger man who now I feel desire I never felt before. Oh, just kissing. Okay. Just kissing. I feel something and touching and I just feel alive in a way that I, I never felt before. And after a few weeks, I was wondering why hasn't he Called. Sex no sex with me no we were seeing oh, each other okay. all the time okay but i'm like why isn't this gone any further i'm like waiting for uh-huh. this man all he had to do was touch me and i was like on fire and one night i told him i'm like i'd really like to and he's like oh you would and so it get we get to the point where he says i have a conflict having sex outside of marriage and oh. i was like what what yeah. 33 year old guy like has a conflict having sex out of marriage how can you do this to me you've unleashed me and i feel this desire and i'm like no. but i don't say that because he's like well do you still want to hang out with me i'm like yes so this is where it gets to the spirituality okay so it turns out he's like a fundamentalist christian and i'm about the opposite that you can be i'm spiritual but inclusive he's like exclusive yeah. Yeah. and um but we but that was a blessing. So I highly recommend people really explore no sex acts, like really explore intimacy that doesn't mm-hmm. have the goal of penetration and even orgasm. That yeah. is just like exploring your body and, you know, just, you know, pants on tops off. Just like I had, I had a Kundalini experience actually just laying on top of him. And mm-hmm. while he was kind of like, sleeping, napping. And I like almost like had an orgasm just laying there. And I had an image of a snake entering me and sort of Mm -hmm. opening me up. And, and that was all just in stillness, not even moving. And so Mm -hmm. it was, that part was really interesting. And then we had a period of time where we couldn't really be intimate. Anyway, we couldn't really see each other. We were in communication, but we couldn't see each other. And I started exploring Christianity again. Why? I don't know. Cause he was Christian. So I was like, Oh, I'm going to give this one more shot, right? Like mm-hmm, can it transcend mm-hmm. patriarchy? I don't know, but let's dig into it a little more, but I didn't end up, I ended up really coming to a conclusion that Christianity wasn't for me. But in the meantime, I began experiencing what it feels like to surrender mm-hmm. and to sort of put you know, your burden onto something more bigger than you, the transcendent. And in my meditation and in my prayer, all of a sudden I had images of light and chalices and uh, decorative bowls that were really, um, really affirming that I was opening up to a deeper part of me. Yeah, I think that's one of the, when it comes to Kundalini, that is, you know, if what I'm told is that you know when um you know because as you said earlier is the how when the symbols of kundalini is a serpent and the serpent at the base of your spine and um if you can imagine a snake uh in your spine you know crawling up your spine and it's supposed to activate the heart right well it activates everything it goes right up through the crown of your head and it's a kind of for me i interpreted it as touching a very ancient feminine 
And that was my, that was the goal. The task was to come into relationship with my own feminine. And the mm -hmm. Kundalini is like a, it's like a coming together of the feminine and the masculine. And so mm -hmm. I, ha I had that, I had that moment with him, but then alone in prayer and meditation, I had, I surrendered and I emptied out and I couldn't tell if this light was coming from my head or coming into it. And it really was both. And during Ooh. those periods in solitude in prayer meditation, I was so aroused. I had to, I had to like have an orgasm. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden now this is how sexuality and spirituality came together for me that in the surrendering in the opening and becoming receptive to something transcendent that it is arousing mm -hmm. it is pleasure i always say spirituality was the biggest aphrodisiac <laughs> yeah I, I mean and, yeah and i didn't and i didn't understand it other than so did you and him ever um ever you know have actual sexual intercourse yes yeah we okay. did okay but okay. it was like it I came to understand that the relationship eventually ended and it was very like obvious, like, oh, okay, this isn't going to work. But I, I really knew from the beginning because it was so archetypal, the experience mm -hmm. that it wasn't about the relationship or permanence of the relationship, that our relationship was used. It was a right. vessel for my transformation. And yes. if I wouldn't have been studying depth psychology, I might not have really appreciated that. And I might've been very attached to it working. Mm -hmm. which is another thing that I work with my clients on is detaching from the need for permanence of a relationship. Even it's a marriage, because as soon as you need something to last, then mm -hmm. you compromise, you compromise yeah. on integrity and honesty and, and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. so yeah. So once I ended that relationship, that's when um, the creativity started unleashing out of me. So if you go back, it's like, it is, it very much um, illustrates Carl Jung's um, process of individuation and individuation is a conscious process of coming into relationship with your unconscious, your, yourself, your capital S self, or if mm -hmm. you're like a God person, God, but it's like this deeper and transcendent part of you. That's also connected to the collective, the collective unconscious. Mm -hmm. So you go from personal. So, so it's like, I actually should like write maybe a book about that, how it really tracks with Young's, with Young's theory, with, with his theory, which is you start with the personal complexes, the parental complexes, what did I learn about love as a child, all this stuff. And as you sort of come into relationship and resolve some of those, the doorway to the archetypes is open. And man, they sweep you up and you are not in control of it, except in your capacity to reflect about the experience and not be swallowed by it. Cause you can be mm. swallowed up by archetypes. There's a whole movement of people swallowed up by a negative version of the archetype right now. So, yeah, yeah so it's, and this, you know, the story is still continuing, but this all happened mm -hmm. over like a four year period for me. Yeah. Well, that's exciting. I mean, to me, um, you know, I, I have friends who talked about, you know, having that experience of, of the Kundalini and, and um, you know, sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad because you have to be, you know, in the right mind space to receive something that way. Yeah. You know, you can't put a, you know, you can't put, um, you know, what's the, a good analogy? You know, you can't put hot, you know, 
something hot in well i think a, a good analogy would be like putting uh water in the glass and then putting it into a freezer and a freezer having that intensity it's like gonna crack that glass you know mm -hmm. so i think that's a, a a good for lack of a better analogy of i, I like that holding yeah i like that actually because it's like it's like a uh, a container is what you need in order to be able to explore the experience. So a glass, even mm -hmm. the, even the opposite, like, um, putting boiling water in a glass mm -hmm. could crack it as, yes. as well. So, yes. Yeah, so that's why I'm so excited about providing a framework for people through my coaching and my book and my blog articles is that, you know, I want people to be open to exploring these things, but if they don't have the capacity to, you know, reflect about it and really realize that there's meaning in the images and not, mm -hmm. not to take them literally, uh, but they're really metaphors and symbol, mm -hmm. you know, symbols of things that they can crack. It, it is true. Or they can become very overwhelmed and they could be overwhelmed, for example, in anxiety and anxiety is actually a calling from your, from your soul to do something different. But if you're not able to kind of like you know, have that and, and strong increase, container and increase your capacity, you know, because yeah. one of the things that I mean, I'm a part of spiritual groups as well. And one of the things they teach you is that, you know, how to increase your capacity as you're learning about these different archetypes and methods of, you know, becoming more self-aware, because if you don't do both, then what happens is um, you'll find yourself, you know, we're not going to the maybe next time you come on talk about the dark night of the soul, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And yes. And the dark night of the soul is part of the process and it can be process. overwhelming, but yeah, oh, you're yeah. right. Like if, if you don't actually have like, Oh, okay. If this happens to me, you know, a kind of self-awareness and, and you know, how, what do I do with it? How do I journal about it? How do I talk about it? I do artwork how, movement. If you don't have the framework, then yes, you either run away from it. So a lot of people respond to the, midlife unraveling or the dark night of the soul by running away from it. And so, and because it's bubbling up, so like it has to be unleashed, you might use alcohol or you might use that's sex thing, or right. you might use something, you know, that's dysfunctional as opposed mm -hmm. to, because it's so scary, but you don't even know what it is that's scaring you. Right. And so you just unconsciously start looking for ways to quiet it down. Yeah, to numb it. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. So I we we totally changed the subject, didn't we? <laughs> and then what we talking about? But I thank you. I mean, I I got um I definitely wanted to understand better because um, when I heard the word unraveling, I said, oh yeah, I, I definitely got to find out more about that because um, we all are unraveling something. And I went through a seven year period of my life where I was totally unraveling. And, um, and I'm still, you know, you know, we, I think we're all unraveling, but it was, it was an intense part of my life. And, and, um, and thank God that I am more so on the other side of it now. And so and, I got to, go ahead. And can, I just want to say that this worked out perfectly because our, pre um pre-recording chat mm -hmm. inspired me to write a blog post about what we are going to talk about i read it and so i would love for like your guests we were going to talk about you know what is generation z mirroring back to us and i think it's 
if I must say so myself, it's a fantastic blog post. It's about a 13 minute read. And mm -hmm. um, I mean, I'd love for people because we were going to talk I, about that. But I'll they can definitely still get it in the blog post. Include that link to that article in the show description. And you also have an exercise in there mm -hmm. about how to deal with anxiety. And yeah. what? Yes, yes. I have, I've been starting to do little mini lessons. It's called Soul Talk, and they're up on YouTube and they're also on my website. But one of them is, um, how to talk to your anxiety and the other one. And it sounds silly, but it's amazing. I, I talk to my anxiety when it comes up. And last time I talked to it, it came out in like a poem. And so creativity, you know, in a poem is the outcome of really being open to creative intelligence sort of flowing through you. And then I have another video on my YouTube that is um, about how to engage with your inner child. So it's relevant to our conversation about unraveling because the process of coming to terms, you know, with midlife and parental complexes is really to go back and, and touch and get reconnected to a part of you, a younger part of you. And sometimes it's a six-year-old, sometimes it's a teenager, sometimes it's a young adult. And it's not about like reliving painful experiences. It's really more about going back and like, that part of you has wisdom and that part of oh. you has think memories before you got corrupted. So sometimes your inner child is like, wants to give you a hug. Sometimes right. your inner child wants to be remembered and wants to be like integrated into your life. So I have another video, um, as well. Okay. Okay, cool. Um, and I'll, and, and we'll put that also in the, um, show description as well. So I want to thank you for being a guest on the What's Up With DJ podcast and uh, definitely glad that we had a chance to speak and I definitely want to uh, have more conversations with you in the future. And how do people find you? So they can find everything on my website, DebraLukovic.com. So D-E-B-O-R-A-H-L-U-K-O-V-I-C-H.com. Right on the front page on the top are all my social media icons. So they can get to my podcast. They can get to my Instagram, my LinkedIn, my YouTube, Twitter, everything is on there. Uh, and then also uh, my blog. And then, uh, and they can find out about my book too. And your book is Your Soul is Talking, Are You Listening? Mm -hmm. Five Steps to Uncovering Your Hidden Purpose. Yes. And then, of course, I am a depth psychology coach, which is something between a therapist and a coach. Yes. And what is what is the name of your podcast? Dose of Depth. Oh, yes. Okay. All right. Well, oh. we definitely got a dose of depth today. That's yes. for sure. Yes. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me.